I always feel with such a powerful bumper, it's got to be a powerful topic, right? Great message. So I think the Lord's going to have something great today. If you're brand new and you would like to follow along, we always have a message note sheet. You can grab that out of your program. You can use that to follow along. We're in a series, and it's part two of a two-part series, and it's a series on the book of Ephesians. This was written by one of the early leaders of the church. His name was Paul, and he's known because he wrote a majority of the letters in the New Testament. So as you read your Bible, Paul's hand was behind a lot of those letters. And this was a specific one that he wrote to churches. And it's, you have to understand, this is only 30 or 35 years after Jesus had died and risen. So brand new believers, new churches are just starting. They're just understanding what it means to walk with God, walk with Jesus. And so Paul begins to write these letters. And this one is to the churches in Ephesus, which is a Roman province, about 250,000 people. So it's a huge community back then. And you understand there's a life of God, a move of God is happening. So Paul's strengthening these churches. And he lays out in part one of his letter, when in our part one of our series, we called it the vision. But the big vision is this. God is on the move, and this move is massive. When humanity fell, it wasn't just men and women that fell away from God. All of creation was distorted. God's now in this massive move of restoring all creation back under the leadership of King Jesus. God, in his magnitude, in his brilliance, and his love, he said, I, it's not just I'm restoring creation, but I'm choosing to include you as a key part of my process. And so he lays this amazing vision out that we are, we've been chosen to be included, to be a part of this grand vision and design that God's doing, that God's restoring all things under him. And then he gives us amazing gifts. Some of the gifts he has given us are new titles, new graces. We hear words spoken over believers, words like forgiven, adopted. He also says you get the gift of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit himself indwells you. The very power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. It's radical. So this transforming nature now is a part of who you are. It's a whole new way of living. It's a grand vision. And because of this, it's going to have radical implications in everyday life. That's part two of the series. Part two of our series, we're calling it Living the Vision. Because in chapter four on, Paul really begins to unpack this and says, listen, if you're now a follower of Jesus, it's going to radically affect everything you do, how you think, how you act, what you say. And it's in chapter 4, verse 22, he described it like, there are things in your life you're going to now put off. And now there's things in your life you're going to now put on. A putting off and a putting on. Putting off of your old way, the old flesh. A putting on of a new way, walking with Jesus. It's a whole new life, a radical new way of living. And he gets real practical in it. Last several weeks here, we've unpacked several of those. There's been a topic of integrity, topic of anger, the topic of work last week. And part of the idea, we work not just for ourselves, but we work to give and give out of our own nature, our heart. There's something transforming happening within us that goes outward. That's part of the radical work of Jesus in our life. Now today, he's gonna go on. We're gonna look at one verse in Ephesians 4, and it's verse 29. And trust me, this one will carry us the whole way through. Ephesians 4, 29. The topic is on our words, how we talk, how we speak, it can be helpful or hurtful. If, you're, if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 29, and we will uh, jump right in. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Ephesians 4.29 says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That's pretty declarative, right? How much unwholesome talk? He says, don't let any of it come out. Okay, convicted already? Raise your hand. Great. (laughs) But only, that's pretty declarative too, only what is helpful for building up others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Let's unpack this a little bit. Um, When he says, don't let any unwholesome words come out, what's this word unwholesome? It's sapros. This word's used a couple other places. In the New Testament, um, Jesus uses it twice. One time in chapter 12 of Matthew, he describes it to talk about spoiled, bad fruit. Another time in chapter 13, he uses it to describe rotten, spoiled fish. Awesome images, right? You ever had bad fruit, bad things? Before I got married, I had roommates after college, and, you know, we share a pantry. Um, And I'm telling you, and when you share a pantry, it's like, well, I don't know, I guess it's theirs. Everybody thinks, I guess it's theirs, and things live there. I am telling you, I guarantee we have new species of organisms that we have discovered in that pantry because things sat there. If you ever saw a potato, what's a potato do if it sits too long? Anybody experience that? It is rancid nastiness. You know when something's off. It gives an amazing odor, right? Amazing in the worst sense. And it begins to take over. This is the word that is described as unwholesome. Think of walking by fish rotting in a dumpster. You want to run. It's unwholesome. And it permeates. What's the thing about bad food, bad fruit, bad fish? Well, besides reeking, stinking, um, you know, you can't really eat it. Uh, It's going to get flies. It'll get worms. And... If you did eat it, it would make you sick. You ever been around conversation like that? You could run into this anywhere. I was actually uh, working on this in a coffee shop in Boston, and I was experiencing it. As I was writing this section, I was like, this is perfect. (laughs) You know, when you're in a spot where people are being sometimes loud, and they're going to say the crudest, craziest things that they can, part of it to get a rise of those around them just to see that's what happens, and it can literally be, it starts permeating a whole atmosphere, so your choice is confront it or move, so pray for a move. I didn't, you know, he's looking for a fight. You don't want to jump into it, right? By the grace of God, you move on. Unwholesome. It's one of those things that'll permeate. It'll go out there. That's the imagery, though. I want you to keep that imagery in your mind. That's what it looks like. Um, there's a new way, Paul says, when believers begin engaging each other. There should be a radical shift in our language, how we talk. What's even going through our mind as we do it? That's why he said, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their need. So what's your focus in conversation already? Man, you're looking at them. What's needed for the moment? That it may benefit. I love that word, those who listen. If you look at other translations, it'll use the word grace, that it will give a grace. And the reason they use that word is because it's a real close translation to the original word. It means to give a grace. Another way of saying it would be to you could translate to give a blessing. Your words are gen, genuinely meant to do something, to offer the grace of Jesus, to be a blessing of God, that when you speak, people are literally in, in strengthened. They are built up. Their faith, something's going on. You stir things up within them that are truest to who they truly are in Christ. And your words bring that out. This is the amazing partnership that we have in this epic vision of walking with God, that we participate with him in very powerful ways like that. Isn't that amazing imagery? 
It's powerful. You've got to understand in the city of Ephesus, this was radically turning things upside down. The people at the parties who used to be the craziest are the ones now giving the most life-giving words. That'll shift a party around, right? You've got to understand it. That's what the life of God in moving throughout a city would look like. And so Paul's painting this radical picture of it. We're going to look today at two big picture principles about words as the New Testament unpacks it. We're also going to be taking a look at practically what does the putting off look like, putting on look like, so we can say what is this better way that Paul's talked about. First way that we'll, we'll do this is, you know, in your outline it says words, the bottom line, um, and then the second part it says um, epic, <coughs> words a better way. Before we get to that one, um, I, I want to say this. Let's go to the big picture. First thing to catch is this. Words are powerful. Real simple, right? But words are powerful. There's a man in his 40s struggling. This man had a mantra that would go through his mind. You're a failure. You're a failure. You always drop the ball. And that mantra just stays with him. He's been carrying it. And when asked, like, hey, where, where did this come from? Like, why, you, why, why is this struggle there? Do you know, have any idea when it started? He goes, yeah, I know when it started. That's easy. I used to play dodgeball in junior high in seventh grade. I was terrible at it. They'd throw the ball. I could never catch it. It didn't matter if they threw it fast or slow, and I always dropped the ball. And nobody ever wanted me on the team because you always drop the ball. You're a failure. Now in his 40s, life has gone on. That, that song still plays in his mind, and he lives under its shadow. Words are powerful. The other side of the spectrum, there's a woman in her 60s. This woman is confident. Um, she can run into any situation pretty unintimidated. And when asked, like, it seems like everybody, how do you do this? Like, it seems like everybody deals with some level of insecurity going into a new situation or with new people. But what is it about you? Like, it doesn't seem like you have that. Has that always been the case? Because no, it wasn't always the case. But I can tell you, when I was little, my mom always did something before I went to school. And she would pause, she would look at me, and she'd say, listen, when you go in there, you got to know something. Um, you are so lovable. You're likable. You're wanted. And you don't ever have to hold your head in shame because everybody likes you. And believe that until proven otherwise. Oh, okay, awesome. And so she believed it. She'd go in and people did. They fell in love with this little girl. And she grew up walking in this great confidence. To this day, she's, she really carries that and walks with it. Ideas, words are powerful. It literally sets the course and direction of our lives. It speaks into us in powerful ways. Proverbs 12, 18 highlights that. It says this. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless pierce like swords, tongues of the wise, they will bring healing. I want you to imagine Jesus for a moment. As you imagine, if you could hear and see Jesus physically on earth, and if you, were, if you could hear him talk or you could have a conversation with him, what would you imagine that would be like? One of the words often described about Jesus is the word amazed. People were amazed by Jesus. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite verses about Jesus. And it's going to give you an insight to what amazed the people. Luke 4.22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. 
You ever picture Jesus like that? When you get to go be with God, there's grace upon grace. And I tell you, that's what's gonna give you the confidence to be more open and real and more real because it's easy to walk in repentance when you fall into the arms of Jesus. That's who he is. And his words have this amazing drawing power. So people didn't have to hide their stuff. They could just be real with who they are and drop it off at Jesus. Grace upon grace. Now, I can tell you is this whole concept of powerful words. We all are needing words of grace, words of life, words that speak into us. I was thinking back over my life. It's like I I know very clear times. I've had amazing words spoken over me that I hold on to. I remember some of my earliest ones, riding on a bus, I'd be next to this older gentleman. He's like a father figure, like grandfather figure. And I was in elementary school, but I still remember him saying, and he just, every once in a while, maybe once a week, he paused, he goes, David, there's something very special about you. And as a kid, I didn't, I'm like, oh, I wonder what that is. Like, I, I want to discover that. I was curious what it was. I didn't know what he's talking about, but I got interested in it. I was always secured by my mother and father's love. That was never in question. Gave me a confidence. They heard it. They, I, I got, it was always expressed. I remember going on, and I remember being in high school. I remember one of the leaders there pausing, and I was, I was pretty, I was just coming to a bigger church and setting, and, but I was kind of quiet, and he just said, I could see you teaching. I thought, you were crazy. There's no way. Um, but I gave it a little pause in the back of my head. I'll consider that. I remember when I was offered a role in ministry to follow Alan Fadling, a giant of the faith, got disciples, leaders now all over the place. And when, he, when I was offered, I'd have to follow in his footsteps. I was like, there's no way. One, I, I think I'd fail. I don't think I have hardly anything to offer. And I was so self-conscious, and I, I just didn't think that I had much to give. And I remember Alan sitting me down and just looking at me. He says, David, I would choose you. Well, that changed it. Words are powerful. They can set the course, the direction of your life. Second thing, big picture, picture, I mean principle, is this. Words also have a source. Words have a source. Well, what's the source? Remember, if your kitchen is rancidly reeking, you got to find that source because it's not going away on its own. Words have a source. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 gives us the source. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you have a Bible app, open that up. Luke 6, 45. Now listen to this. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings up evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What's the source of our words? That's why in your outline, if you're taking notes, you can fill this in. The battle for the mouth is a battle for the heart. That's right out of Luke 6.45. We store things up. The things we sit on that eat us up will come out. The life-giving things from God, from Jesus that he pours into us, that'll come out. And our mouth is a reflection of our heart. That's what scripture's saying. That's why Jesus also said in Matthew 15, 11, what goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. Bad smell, go to the source. Bad mouth, go to the source. And the source is our heart. 
Scripture over and over talks about the very centerpiece of our being being our heart. It is the centerpiece of what we say, what we do, how we act, how we live. And as we surrender our heart to God, as we yield our lives to Jesus, there is a radical transformative thing that begins to take place. He renews old things. He makes hard things around our heart soften. And he brings life into dead places. That's what he does. And all of a sudden, as you begin yielding your life to Jesus, life-giving words are free to come out because Jesus has freedom to operate in your life. It is directly connected to your heart. It's everything. That's why Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The work of God is the work of the heart. He always goes after our heart. It's the one thing that we can begin to put walls up between each other and to God. So God says, I'm a master wall tear downer. I'll go in there, I'll knock it down. I'll give a new way because we are so good at building walls right back up. That's putting off the old, putting on the new. The new is we knock the wall down between us and God and give him freedom to operate because we are new creatures in him. This whole process going from old and going to new, you want me to say it in the most simple way, it is attending to the life of Jesus in your life. It's you're giving him space. You're going before him. It's knowing Jesus. It's walking with Jesus. And out of the relationship with Jesus, you have strength and ability to discern and choose how to walk with God. You can cooperate and go along with him, right? It all goes to our heart. So when that is in order, you're now in place to put off and put on. This process of putting off the old and putting on the new Part of it is, you know, it's going to look real practical. You have to understand it will never work unless you are aligned with Jesus. That's how it works. In fact, if you're following along, it says words a better way. And let me just paint a picture of how the better way operates. Because the first thing you're going to notice is that you will stop it. Now I'll describe what stop it means in a moment. But here's what this process of old and new looks like, this better way. When you come to Jesus, when you give your life to Christ... You realize something. You realize you're not alone anymore. He's with you. God walks with you. And because he's with you, you now have new sensitivity to things you used to not be real sensitive to. I remember I came to Christ young. I do remember in junior high, it was just really cool to be lewd, cruise, cuss, anything you wanted to say. And I had friends that were doing that. I thought, oh, I, I want to be accepted. I want to be like them. And so I tried that on. You know, and I'm going for it. But I can tell you this, because I was already walking and knowing Jesus, there was a disconnect with what was coming out than what was in my heart. And I was uncomfortable with it because I was walking with God. And that's what it's going to feel like. When you begin to yield your life to Christ, things that used to feel okay, you're going to start getting a distaste for because Jesus is with you. He's there. And you become aware of his presence. And so there's things you just would never do in his presence. And it begins to tr- transform it. That's why the first thing that usually starts getting cleaned up is sometimes the mouth. We don't ever go after the mouth first. We go after our heart with Jesus. But you'll notice as you yield, cussing begins to go away. Or crudeness or lewdness. That's why if you're following along, 
I just put cussing down there first. That's one of the first things that goes, or lewdness, crudeness. Another thing begins to happen. First, I'll just give you a verse. Colossians 3.8 says this, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, and slander, and filthy language from your lips. That ties in with Ephesians. It says, don't let any unwholesome thing come out of your mouth. So there's a purifying work that we're putting on. We're putting off this old way of doing it, and putting on a new way. I even remember my dad came to Christ when I was in high school. He had gone to church his whole life, but something radically happened with him and Jesus when I was in high school. And I noticed, one of the first things I noticed is that this began happening in his life. Um, he used to be looser with his words, and all of a sudden, just walking with God, no one's ever telling him you have to stop saying this or that. It's just the natural byproduct of walking with Jesus, but he put it off. He put that off. The next thing you'll notice that starts to be challenged in your life, we'll say it like this, is exaggerating. There's a great, another, another biblical term for it. What is it? Lying. <laughs> exaggerating sounds so much nicer. Psalm 120, verse 2. Save me, Lord, from my lying lips and from my deceitful tongue. How many of you say, oh, I need that prayer? Right? Isn't it so easy? Why do we do it? As I thought back, I wonder if I could remember even one of the first times I recall really exaggerating something. And I remembered one. And I remember trying to impress junior hires as a little kid. Um, and I remember one of, they were talking about working out. You know, in junior high, they want to start getting all buffed out um, in their little frames. They're going to go for it. <laughs> but they were talking about it. And I was this little kid in elementary school. One, they're talking about a bench press. I didn't even know what a bench press was. But they're talking about it. And then one guy goes, so how much can you bench press? And I just said the first number that came to my mind, 100. You know, <laughs> I may have weighed 60. I don't know. But of course, I could bench 100. I don't even know what I'm saying, but what would compel me to do it? Well, I want to be accepted. I want to fit in. I want to look cool. I want to be the center of attention. That driving thing within our heart is what the Lord will go after. Because that, doesn't, that thing doesn't go away. What you may exaggerate will change over your time. How you're doing at work, what's going on, how you interact or talk about things in your life, whether you want to make yourself look better or, or hide certain things. This is this thing that will begin to go on. And what happens is you walk with Jesus, he's going to start to go after that stuff. And you'll start feeling unsettled with it. That's part of walking with God. One of the best um, pieces of advice I've heard, like that's a big issue that you've got. Here's the cure. A practical way to put that off and put on something new is go back to the people that you did that to, exaggerated to, and just confess, listen, I was lying to you about that. It really didn't happen that way. After about two or three times, you're going to find it's going to be a radical cure pretty quickly, right? Because who wants to feel like that? Who wants to feel like a liar going around? But this is one of those pieces where Jesus says, hey, put stuff off. Now let's go a little deeper on this. What's another, what's another piece? We'll call this one smearing. Smearing. Another way of saying this is just a critical spirit. But we don't usually come out like that and say it. You can say, listen, I, need to, I want to talk about Fred. You know, I want to talk about Fred just because, you know, I care for Fred. So, you know, I want to talk about Fred and just really discerning some things. Don't let the Christian language hide something here. Just if you're saying those words, doesn't give, it, give you license to destroy Fred in that conversation. A lot of times what happens is you're not just being discerning, you're being critical, and it's a critical spirit that's coming out. People go like this, well, you know, I just need to tell you about Fred. 
<coughs> excuse me, and uh, you start telling about Fred because you don't like Fred. You don't like Fred because Fred did things to you that hurt you. So you're going to tell bad things about Fred to all of them so they don't like Fred like you don't like Fred. And you can't call that discerning. Now, let's be real. We've got to talk about people and we've got to talk about problems in a real way. But James 3 gives us a great context for how to do this. I'll tell you a, a snapshot here. Then let's look at James 3. There, you know, if you've got to deal with something, you can deal with someone that's trusted. And even if, if you're all worked up over something too, say, listen, I, I'm worked up over something. And I need you to help me work this thing out. And I want to respond in the right way. And so I'm not saying this is all their stuff. I've got my own stuff. But I want to move through this in a healthy and right way. Would you help me with that? James 3. If you have a Bible, look at this. Verse 9. It says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God, or in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? It is so easy to go critical. Probably easiest to go critical to those under your own roof, right? Your own family. How quickly have you noticed that? You can get frustrated. Then all of a sudden, uh, you're getting short with your words. You get cranky. Uh, slam the, the clothes hamper, whatever, because you're frustrated. And I can tell you that. Like, I, I caught myself earlier this week with it. What's going on with that? Well, that's not my thoughts, feelings, and opinions. You know what that is? That's my flesh. That's a critical spirit. And it needs to be put to death. And we can't just smear over that. So what you want to do, if you understand this, is say, Lord, take my critical spirit and put it away because it'll creep in real quickly. We've all got those pieces. Let's go one more. What else are we stopping? We'll call this one dumping. Um, another one, here's, here's the nicer way of saying it. We're just being real. Um, and that code word may be giving you license to say anything about everything anywhere you are. So whoever's around is just going to get anything and everything, and it's just going to be the raw, uncensored form coming out. And, that's what's, and, and you're going to be an amazing blessing to everybody, right? From that. Hard day of work, you get home. Griping about this, grumbling about that, complain about this, psh, kick the dog here, and uh, you're just living out loud. And the, the mantra be, oh, I just like it. I like when people are real. I want their raw emotion. So the more real it is, whether you cuss, give me the raw emotion that craziness, and it's just going to be living it out loud. You're just being real. Well, guess what? Your raw emotion stinks. It's sapros, and it's unwholesome. It's rotten, and it's going to affect everybody around you. Now, listen, there is a balance to this, especially for everybody thinking, well, I'm just learning to express an emotion, so can I not? No, of course we've got to express this stuff, but I just want to highlight something. We cannot just give pause and clearance to anything that comes out, anything we feel. We've got to be in check with this stuff. Children of Israel were challenged with it throughout the desert for this a grumbling, critical attitude just was, uh, was permeating. And, and the Lord called it out in him. Now, the balance. Let me just read Psalm 19, 14. This is a great prayer. Say, Lord, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Why? Because what comes out of your heart is coming out of your mouth. May the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, help me. How many of you, like... Check in all the boxes, right? Lord, help me. We need help in this. 
the balance. You've got to be able to go somewhere and, and dump your stuff and get with somebody who's godly and real. They can say, listen, bro, I need to vent here. I, I'm struggling. So can you sit down? I don't even know where to sort out what's mine and what's not mine. But I, I just got to be real. I'm hurting. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. And I'm going to just tell you as I share this stuff, I'm owning this stuff. It's my stuff. And I'm having a hard time even sorting it out. But would you help me sort this out? I got to figure out some way to work through it and take it to God because I don't want to stay here. And then you can share your stuff. We need to do that. That's godly. That is biblical. But there's a difference between projecting your stuff on everybody and owning your stuff. That's the difference. David did a great job in the Psalms. He would lay it out like it is and take it to God. And there's great people around you to do it. If someone's coming to you with that stuff, figure out how you help them move it to God and leave it in a healthier place. Um, last verse on this one, John six sixty three. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of the Spirit and life. All right, so that's what our desire is. We want our words life and full of the Spirit. So the first thing putting off looks like as you get right with God, you have a discerning and ability to choose to stop it. The next thing is going to go real quick. We're going to call it lock it. Lord, please, close my mouth. Psalm 141, verse 3, one verse, all we need. Set a guard over my mouth. What a great verse, right? Maybe that's all you need right now. Set a guard over my mouth. Lord, keep watch over the doors of my lips. A great verse. We do more damage um, when we just are unwise with our words. I just got to say this. There's a lot of parents in the room. Your words are so powerful. And you're imprinting on your kids. Be careful with your words. If you've got authority over anybody in your life, be careful with your words. Lock it and say, Lord, give me a guard so you can go ahead and begin to do the following ones, okay? Stop it, lock it. Next thing is listen, listen. What are we listening to? Well, in the moment, you're listening to the person you're with, whoever's around you. You also have an ear to God. You're listening for him to speak because God has a good word for this moment. He's got something that could help it. There's something that would benefit it, and he's got it, and he wants to give it, and he wants to release it, and he wants to release it through the people of God. Jesus was amazing, and he tells us when he walked on this earth, took on human form, God in the flesh, walking on earth, there was a secret to how he lived his life. When he yielded that, became in human form, he walked in dependence. And, and John 12, 49 tells you what he did. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. Jesus walked with an ear to the ground, an ear to the Father. What are you up to, Lord? Father, what would you want me to say? If you've heard the words of Jesus, you've heard the words of the Father. Because the Father's heart is to build, restore, to strengthen. We're in an age of grace. He's calling. He's wooing. He's drawing people in. 
And that's what he's got for us. So whether it's a word of challenge or correction, it's always with grace to bring you back. Ephesians 4.29, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So you're listening for, God, what would benefit this? What would help this moment? How do I use it in this moment? (coughs) I'm gonna give you a verse in Hebrews 12. And what you're gonna see in this verse is there's something that happens to all of us. There are lies that will go through our mind. There's lies about who you are. There's lies about who God is. There's the lies about what future would look like. We also struggle with unbelief that will creep in. It's almost like this ooze that starts coming into your life. Ooh, you gotta keep getting that away. Unbelief will ooze and start creeping in. And there's a strategy for walking free. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. There's that unbelief thing that turns away from the living God. There's something within us that our old self would still love to turn away from God. And Paul's saying, no way, put it on, put on the new stuff. And then he gives a picture of it. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It's tricky. It's sneaky. When we give into lies, when we give into unbelief, we start falling back into old patterns, old sin, and we become hardened and we become tricked into our perception of reality in life. And basically, when we listen, God will have a good word for a moment. And if we could really listen, you'll have words that will speak directly to the lies, directly to the unbelief, and grant new freedom where there used to be bondage. It's God's method for the church to build up each other, release words of life so people can move towards life, move towards Jesus, and walk in new freedom. Isn't that powerful? Listen. There's a uh, story. Um, A friend of mine, um, a pastor who... Uh, had a businessman that came to him and said, listen, I don't know what to do. I've got a terrible, I don't know if I should quit. I'd love to get this guy fired. He, he's an insane person for our entire company. He's one of those difficult people. Uh, if you've ever worked with a difficult person, you probably have images in your mind right now, right? <laughs> really difficult person. He kind of got his value from being hard-nosed and just that's what he's gonna do. Made it difficult for everybody around him. And so um, he went to this pastor, like, I gotta get this, I don't know what I need to do. And uh, this pastor just basically said, listen, you know, one of the things when you're in leadership, leaders have to learn how to maintain ideals while learning how to manage dysfunction, which means you don't want to get responsive to just anything that's around you. You, wanna, you don't want to just be reactive. You got to be able to move forward and listen, try and discern what God wants you to do. And he's, as they talked about this man, it seemed pretty clear this guy probably had never had anybody in his life that spoke any life into him. And... Uh, so he says, why don't you try this? You need to first, you gotta start praying for this guy. You've got stuff you gotta drop off. Gotta work through your forgiveness pieces and pray for this man. Hear a little bit of his story and then ask God for words to give him life. <sighs> That's a hard assignment, right? That was a real hard assignment. And he goes, listen, you cannot just go in there with flattering words, quick words, because that will never work. They have to be real. And you gotta listen for the Lord. So he does this. He goes away and he begins to do this. So anyway, a couple months go by and the pastor runs into him again and he says, well, hey, how's it going at work? He goes, you won't believe it. 
I don't even know how to describe what's going on. This guy is radically different. He goes, I'm like his best friend now. Like, he loves me. I'm embarrassed now in the company because he loves me so much. Like, this guy is all over me, and it's radically shifting the whole tone of our company. The power of words can never be underestimated, but it has to come from a very real place of real connection to Jesus, to walking with God. There is a listening that's a real part of how we live life. We stop it, we lock it, we listen, and I'll give you one more, we share it. We share it. Here's another one of my favorite verses. I love this verse in Proverbs. It says this, don't withhold good to those to whom it's due when it's in your power to act. When it is in your power to act. Do you have power to give something good? To deliver something? Don't withhold good when you have power to act. It's a broad application we can have with it, but let's just put it on our words. Let me just say this. As we've been going through here today, um, uh, some of you in here are like, oh, I'm so glad you're talking on this because I know so many people need this. Man, they're all over the place with their words. <laughs> like, you know, one, one group of people, they don't know when to stop. They just, their mouth will go off and just, it's happening all over the place. But listen, there's another fruit of the flesh because one doesn't know where to start. So if you're more introverted, you have a hard time, you don't really speak things out very much. Listen, there is a fruit of the flesh that's in that that has got to get rooted out. Um, there are things that God is going to give you to speak, and for you not to speak it, you're withholding the life of God. And you've got to be, come to a place where you can surrender that. You're like, I'm not good in the moment. Well, great, write it down, give it to him later. But give it to him. You've got to share it. That's a big deal. This is so important for us. Um, because we all need it so much. The way that Hebrews verse described it, if we don't live with this, we will get hardened by it. Life creeps in and we start getting hard towards life and everything around us. We've got to have some encouragement that's coming in. Imagine if our culture was truly a culture of encouragement here. What would that look like? Imagine it for a life group. It is so natural and easy when we get together to cut each other, to dig it into each other. But what if it was a place truly where the life of God was given out? It would radically affect everything. A culture where you know that life will be given and God will speak life through you. And I'm telling it, you, you'll see people in real time being built up, being strengthened. Listen, if you're leading a life group and it is tanking, I've got some gold here for you. You ready? Listen, if you're terrible at leading a discussion, you've got a group that's all, you just, I don't even know what to do. You're kind of, you're feeling a little down on yourself. Okay, step aside for one moment. Try this for a night. You're gonna give a night where you're gonna really ask God and you pray, you prep yourself before this night. You write things down. God, what would you wanna give? What could I encourage people with? You begin to release those and you ask others in the group to release them for each other put some worship music on after that, hit play on the iPod, be with God. I am telling you one thing. The life of God will show up. The presence of God will be with you because he moves on those moments. A lot of times we think we need this radical moment with God. 
Oh, I remember this one service where I had a radical moment with God. Those are awesome. Those are gifts. Even where you feel like, oh, God manifested in a powerful way. We love that. But I'm telling you, there's something even more powerful about a steady flow where life-giving words are regularly being dropped and it's almost like the spiritual temperature of everything begins to go up higher and higher and higher and it becomes a place that's so attractive. That's why Paul's saying to them, listen, grab those words. Don't let anything unwholesome come out. Try Use your words only for what's good to build each other up for the needs of the moment. And I'm telling you, the life of God will go through your city. It's a big deal. It's everything. We need it. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. This idea of weights, if you picture it, we're all walking around with a backpack. Whether it's our challenges, our concerns, our failures, or our past, we carry those things. And if you speak a word, imagine it's like taking a brick out of that pack and it lifts a load. It lifts it. Proverbs 16, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. One thing I could guarantee, all of us want it. How many of you would love to be encouraged today? Me too. It's amazing. I was sitting, just reading through my notes before I came in here today at a Starbucks, and this uh, a gentleman came up, bought me a coffee, and he just, he, get, he just gave me a great word of encouragement. It's like, hey, I want you to really know the Lord is with you. Prayed for me and went on. I hardly ever talked to this guy. He attends our church. But man, he, he's modeling the sermon before it's ever given. Just life of God. Being the people of God. Here's the reality. We all want it. And how often do you and I, we go to places saying, I need God, give me, I need some life. And here's the thing. We're all going to have to come to places where we say, I'm willing just to give life even before I'm receiving life. And life will return in, in, in the process. We've got to just work on it. And I'm saying it, if you've got kids, lavish them with it. Lavish them with it. They're going to need it. Close with this. There's a, uh, there's a woman by the name of Mary Temple Grandin. And uh, if you've ever heard of her, she's a professor of animal science at the University of Colorado. She's got her PhD, brilliant woman. In fact, Time Magazine voted her as one of the top 100 people in the heroes uh, section. Awesome on your resume. Um, What's fascinating about her is she is autistic. She's autistic. She couldn't speak. Um, When she was going to the doctors, um, mom was noticing that she's not developing the same way other kids were developing and couldn't talk. And the doctor basically said, listen, you need to institutionalize her. She's not going to speak. She's really advanced in this. It's really where it's at. And the mom said, no, I'm going to stay with it. And the mom just worked with her. At four years old, she began to speak. And the mom just continued to put her into different situations. And she went into high school and middle school and was getting her education. And she would get mocked incessantly. She was called the tape recorder. Because if she'd hear somebody say something, she'd say it over and over again. Or hear an emotion, she'd repeat that over and over again. And, um, and, and she'd always get beaten up verbally by other people, constantly. And mom would say something to her. She'd say, listen, Mary, you are different, but you're not less. 
there's something so powerful about who you are. And as she talked to her, she always said, listen, you have to understand, you see the world in such a unique way. And we need that. You're actually brilliant. You've got something to give. You're not, you're, you may be different, but you are not at all less. You have so much to offer. Well, she went on and she believed that. And this woman became a lead researcher and developer, transformed some things within the whole uh, working with animals and how they actually move and, and direct them. And she could build these amazing contraptions because she's a visual thinker. She could see things visually in her mind none of us could see. Just really gifted in that way, and it was released. When she was being interviewed uh, by someone, they said, well, when did you overcome your autism? And she says, well, I never overcame my autism. I just have learned to deal with it. And I learned because my mom always said, you're different, but you're not less. And I believe that. Words are powerful. You and I have the very words and the life of Jesus within us, and God wants them released. He wants them released. So by the grace of God, as we yield our lives to God, we'll stop it, lock it, we'll listen, and we will share it. Where even those who are considered different wouldn't be looked at as less, but as more in the eyes of God, and even more so that we would be people who have a hunger and desire to release the life of God wherever we go, and the spiritual atmosphere of everything would rise. God, would that be so of us, right? Let's pray. Well, Lord, what, a, what an amazing, amazing thing to pause and reflect on. You are the God who speaks life. You're the God who speaks value. We have no value apart from you. Uh, you have given us value. You've laid your life down. You've laid it down. And you lifted it back up, and you are offering it out once again. Even this moment is a moment of your grace. And I want to just declare and just say this, that um, I, it doesn't really matter if you're brand new. Your first time in this room, in this place, or even in a church, um, God meets people. And he does it in unlikely times and in unlikely places. And uh, I just want to say, if, as, you've been, if, as you've been sitting in here and you've been hearing a message about Jesus... And you're sensing that you want to know Jesus. You want to walk with Jesus. You'd like to have relationship with Jesus. It always just starts the same way with all of us. And it's usually a humble place of saying, I need you. Because you see that you've got your own stuff to deal with. You've got things we call sin. He calls sin. It separates us. And you're like, I don't want a separation anymore. So your confession is this. Lord, take the sin. And even just as we talked about our, our mouth, Lord, my mouth convicts that I've, my heart is broken. It's turned. And Lord, would you take my heart and transform it? And uh, you're offering me an adoption into your family. I want it. So I confess my sin. And I accept the gift of Jesus. And I want to come into your kingdom. Would you take me? I'm accepting your offer of invitation, the free gift of life. And I want it. Listen, if you're praying that prayer, you're at the beginning place of knowing, walking with God. Today, as we uh, continue our service, we want to give the Lord a moment just to deal with our heart because we know this is a heart issue. And we're saying, God, give me a new heart, a new one. Um, and the places where I've got unbelief that's built up or lies are building up, I want you to help shed that. And we're going to take communion. 
This is one of the things Jesus said, I want you to always remember. This is how I want you to remember me. I broke my body, and the blood is a picture of my new covenant with you. And I want you to remember that so you could walk in relationship with me. It always came with a cost. But you have to always look at one thing. You're always accepted, forgiven. There's grace you're running to. So don't hide from me. Run to me. So Lord, I pray as we go to the table today, whether it's someone's first day of knowing you and walking with you, um, or for many of us walking with you for years, we need something new and fresh with us today that you would transform our hearts. And we want to give you our hearts that you do a purifying work. And uh, because as our hearts purified, Lord, we want that to be released through each other. So we pray for that right now, Lord. There's communion to the side. There's communions in our communion in the very back if you're up in the balcony section. Um, but right now they're going to lead us in a song which is very appropriate. It's Here's My Heart, Lord. And as we give our heart, let's go take the uh, cup and the bread together. You're released to the tables. Awesome. Well, good. Leave you with a thought. You know, because you are His, He's got life-giving words for you. Just remember, you are adopted. You've been sealed. You're His son. You're His daughter. And so the Lord's got things for you this week. He wants to speak life into you. So if I'd give you one encouragement, you run to the Lord this week. You run after Him. Uh, Unabandoned, personally, with others in your life, but run after the Lord. You go after Him. And I'm going to tell you, he will do something. He'll do something within you. He's going to give you words of life. And I'm going to give you this verse one more time. Luke 4.22, listen to how they talked about Jesus. They all spoke well of him. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. So Lord, let that be true of us this week too, right? There's people all around you that need it. You guys ready to go give it? Good. You glad you came today? Anybody convicted? Anybody encouraged? Good. Go encourage people. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.